countdown. Two, nine. I was not elected to watch my people suffer and die while you discuss this invasion in a committee. I may have given more energy to that than Natalie Portman ever did. <laughs> Behold, the ultimate power of the Countdown to Nine podcast. Coming at you once again. Uh, this time, we're getting into it. Our breakdowns of each film leading up to this December 20th and the release of Star Wars Episode Nine. Paul Preston and the Movie Guys here with you alongside me. Sean Blodgett. Sean Blodgett of Creative Motion Entertainment. Yep. CreativeMotionEntertainment.com. <laughs> you want to go find out everything Sean's all about? Uh, we are in the Mighty Admirals Club here in Burbank, California, and today's monthly check-in for how much closer we are to Episode 9. Uh, as of this taping, Sean, yeah. 40 weeks and 6 days. Wow. <laughs> we'll keep counting it down, and it'll always be a huge <laughs> well, number. Is, is it wrong that we're counting it down that much? I 284 mean, days. <laughs> same thing. Which sounds better, 284 days? Uh, we promised you film recaps, analysis, opinions, interviews, guests, jokes, and more, and we are going to start that all off where the Star Wars universe starts off with Star Wars Episode One: The Phantom Menace. Not the first Star Wars film, but the first chronologically in their universe, and then we will go forward chronologically from there. Now, just before we launch the sauce, however, quick plug. Please chime in your thoughts at themovieguys.net, yep. at countdowntonine 9 at gmail.com, or on social media, which includes facebook.com slash countdown to 9, at countdown to 9 on Twitter and Instagram. And Sean, are there any updates on episode 9? Uh, the last update that I saw was the picture that they released with uh, John Boyega and uh, Daisy Ridley. That's the end of uh, an, an Oscar was, Isaac. It, it That's was, the end of principal photography. It was the right? end of principal photography. Um, actually, I think that I think that image might have come out around the time we released this because I remember posting something about it. Oh yeah, it's yeah, out. Yeah. Remember when there so. was like three years between Star Wars movies? <sighs> yes. Now they're going to crank post out yeah. in a short amount of time. Nine months. Yes. Yeah, which will be as effects heavy. Yes. You know they must. Of course, they're probably doing it all along. Yeah. I remember when I, when they first introduced the Guardians of the Galaxy at Comic Con, and we got a little something, and it right. was the most blazing hot, awesome, you right. know, three minute sizzle reel. I'm like you're. You're in the middle of shooting. They clearly <laughs> took the shots they like. Yes, went and did full all effect the CG for that. Yeah, 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 yeah. It looked like finished. There were no temp effects. Right, right, right. It was right. super impressive. So, yeah, they're working as they go. But either way, nine months to get the whole uh, Megillah together. That so. uh, that shot actually brought something up for me. And, and since we're talking about a countdown to nine, we'll talk a little bit about nine. Not that we know anything about it, but it got me thinking. At the end of The Last Jedi, there's about, I don't know, 50... Rebels left. Yeah. At this point, and, and the Hosniat system is gone. The Republic sure. is basically gone. <laughs> this came up for me. What do they want now? I mean, seriously, you got 50 people, one of which is maybe a Jedi. Yeah. <laughs> um, what are we going for here? What's the objective? I mean, you know, I mean, how far are they going to jump ahead? I, I'm just very interested to find out. Yeah. Maybe they'll jump ahead another 30 years. Well, you know, it got me thinking because of that image of, of John Boyega and Daisy Ridley, and they were obviously on some kind of desert locale or something. When in and, doubt. Yeah, and it might have just been, you know, who knows when that moment takes place in the film or whatever it is. But it got me thinking actually about one of my favorite series, which is Battlestar Galactica. Mm. Uh, and, I, I, you know, I loved what they did with that, that reimagining and everything they did. And the ending, you know, ultimately they wanted to get to this place where they could live and they could 
have a life and 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 be free. And it's like, what do the rebels really want? <laughs> what what is it we're really after here ultimately if everything else is now gone and there's this ultimate I, the ultimate power is you know i mean i don't know i I'm, think i've said that before that i don't know what i'm going in to be excited about seeing yeah but like last time it was like oh man luke's got to beat up darth oh han and leia gotta get together right oh you know we got to defeat the emperor there's a lot to do <laughs> right. and and now i go in going what are we doing uh yeah. more poe yeah I, yeah <laughs> who you could take out well, of the last two movies and it'd mean nothing my hope is actually that there will be some way that we're going to see like a bunch of force ghosts come to the front and there's going to be some sort of huge battle that involves like, I, I don't know, just multiple levels of, of the force and, and just craziness, awesomeness going on. That I mean, just lots of, but not so crazy like a DC movie. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah. When you know, in doubt, they just CGI the end. Uh, it's a you know, noisy, noisy, noisy. Yeah, to the point where you don't know what's happening, and I don't want that. I, I want something specific, but 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 it did get me thinking. Like, what what do they really want at this point with the little that they have? What what is it going to be? I don't I don't know. A trailer will give us a hint. Yeah, which we don't have yet. But yeah. stay here for updates when there's a teaser, when there's a trailer, when there's a poster or anything. Yeah, anything, yeah. A title. You a know, we'll, we'll chime in. <laughs> we'll take anything at this we'll point. Have, for we'll God's sakes, in. can you give us something? <laughs> give us something. I, I, don't, I don't know why I became Doc Brown, but it just... <laughs> Marty, give us something! <laughs> but first, uh, we will... First things first, what is The Phantom Menace all about? Well, hey, you say you're a Star Wars fan. Uh, do you like Darth Vader? I I love Darth Vader, dude. The the helmet and the cape with the sword. That's great, man. Is he in the first movie? Uh, yeah, in the first movie, you get to see him as a little kid. Maybe not what Pat Oswalt wanted, but that's what the uh, plot is about anyway. So let's get everyone caught up to speed on what happened in Star Wars Episode One with our patented Countdown to Nine recap. First up, the scroll. Now let's go through it. Sean, with your... Make a noise that reflects your emotion as this goes along. That's what I'll be doing. Here we go. Turmoil has engulfed the Galactic Republic. (laughs) Already? (laughs) The taxation of trade routes to outlying star systems... Oh, sorry, now. (laughs) Hoping to resolve the matter with a blockade of deadly battleships. Ooh. The greedy trade federation has stopped all shipping to the small planet of Naboo. While the Congress of the Republic endlessly debates this alarming chain of events, the Supreme Chancellor has secretly dispatched two Jedi Knights. Woo! The Guardians (laughs) of Peace and Justice in the Galaxy to settle the conflict. Okay. Right out of the gate, even though I was making jokes at the beginning, I do want to have a little defense of this this scroll. Because I was watching, as I was watching the film again, and I was watching this scroll and seeing it later, and I'm, I'm thinking about these words. And I'm thinking, okay, how do you, how does a war start? How does a battle start? I mean, what is it, what is war ultimately usually about? It's usually about power. It's about wanting to be in charge. And in America, it was about taxes. Right, right, <laughs> so right. I guess there you go. Right. So, I mean, <laughs> when you really think about this opening scroll, it, it, in a lot of ways, it's actually kind of a brilliant setup. The, the problem is 
the wording. That's that's really the problem. Uh, if, if there was some way to simplify it, I, I don't know exactly what that would have been. But While the universe tottered on the brink of instability. Yeah. Instability. Yes. Instability. instability. You know, it, 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 ooh, it really, and that, that kind of sums up that all these the galactic angst. senators are yes. not compromising or agreeing. But, you know, getting to the heart of there was a trade federation and there was taxation on trade routes. <laughs> right. Uh, pick up from there. A long time ago in a far off galaxy, a young boy was born without being fathered. It is a miracle. <laughs> <laughs> the young boy is a product of the Force. Yay! Well, not really the Force, but midi-chlorians. Boo! 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 Wait, the Force? It's an energy field created by all living things. It surrounds us and penetrates us. It binds the galaxy together. Well, thanks for that. Through a series of events, this boy, Anakin Skywalker, or... Annie. It's the hard knock life not for that, us. that Annie, stop it. Helps a band of characters, including the Jedi and the Queen of Naboo, restore their ships so they can get to Coruscant, the capital of the Republic, and warn them of the threat to Naboo by the evil Trade Federation. Sean, I'd like to take a second here to remind everyone of just how terrifying the Trade Federation was by playing a couple of clips of their menacing dialogue. Are you brain dead? Close the blast off! That will hold them. Ah, victory. <laughs> they sound like George Takei with a sock in his mouth. The boy is selected by Qui-Gon Jinn, the Jedi master of the group, played by Liam Neeson. Liam Neeson is my shiznit! Who is right? To become a Jedi Knight because he senses great untapped power within the boy. <laughs> Not that power. That's a different power. Well, once the group reaches Coruscant, Coruscant, Cor the abdominal <laughs> snowman, abominable, 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 Coruscant, abominable, Coruscant, abominable, Coruscant. They are faced with bureaucracy, red tape, and more bureaucracy. So they decide to take matters into their own hands. And with the aid of two Jedi that accompany them, they set off to make matters right on Naboo by facing the Trade Federation themselves. Are you brain dead? Close the blast. We've heard enough of that. They enlist the help of the Gungan army via their friend, Jar Jar Binks. Me so horny! Me so horny! That's not him, it was close, so here he is. Oh, moi, moi, I love you! And so they unravel an elaborate plan to take back control of Naboo when they are not only faced with a vast droid army, but find out they must now deal with an ancient evil Sith Lord. Impossible. The Sith have been extinct for a millennium. Uh, the two Jedi face off against the Sith Lord while the others fight the oppressors. Here's a clip. In the end, good prevails over evil. The Sith Lord is killed. Yay! But our good guys pay the price in the form of losing the great Jedi Master Qui-Gon Jinn. Here are his final words. You promise me you will train the boy. Yes, Master. He is the chosen one. He will bring balance. Train him. And of course, he's wrong. Glad we rooted for him the whole movie. 
And finally, now that peace has been restored on Naboo, a celebration ensues. Which includes the newly elected leader of the Senate, Chancellor Palpatine, who promises to bring peace to the Republic. There we go. That's... Casey never saw it. It's like you did. It's like you just did. Right? Tried to do my best uh, movie voice to just to add good. to the add to the trauma, you know. It's good. Yeah, let's see your career in there. <laughs> in a world populated with gungans <laughs> and pod racers. Lisa, say no. Whatever Watto is. <laughs> Which by I actually like Watto. I, I think that character was one of the more interesting CG characters in the whole film. Just me? Okay. okay. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, let's go back to the beginning of our timeline. All right. All right. That was the beginning of the Star Wars timeline. What did you think when you first heard of the title, The Phantom Menace? Because you were waiting for this movie for 16 years. I remember I was in Studio City with my then-girlfriend, now-wife, driving, I think, on Laurel Canyon. and We heard it on the radio, and I went, huh. <clears throat> I was I was really kind of disappointed. Oh really? Yeah, I was like, you know, it was such a throwback to me. I don't know the word phantom. It, 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 it is. It's a throwback yeah. to to a different time of of film, a different time of storytelling. Which I get it. I mean, it's you know George Lucas does that. I mean, that's that there is there is actually so much throwback in Phantom Menace in general. Um, but I I was not. It did not excite me. I will say that. And right out of the gate, I was like, oh, Palpatine? Oh, yeah. You know, there's a yeah. kind of a sense of like, oh, okay. maybe. I well, I mean, he's got to assume some mantle of uh, power as the emperor. Right, right? yeah. we got to see yeah. that. Right. What about you? I, well, uh, I was fine. Star Wars blank was cool. Star Wars <laughs> vanilla pudding. I'm in. Star Wars, let's see. Where do I sign? Where, where's the, where's the signature Wars. paper? Star Wars, yes, Star Wars. of course. Here come the otters. Right. I'm in. I don't care because it said Star Wars at the first part. Right. And then well, the trailer. I, you know what, though? That's an interesting point, though, because at that, at that juncture, we were starved yeah. <laughs> for Star Wars content. Yeah. I mean. And by the time Solo a Star Wars story comes out, you're not. Yeah. And then well, I, think I that actually movie paid the price. I actually think that was a big mistake by Disney was was the the year after year of releasing things even as a big fan. I I, I kind of was like, "You know what? I, I don't want this to be so back to back. I want to want it." And a how does bit. but but how who defies the odds? Marvel. Because we're talking on the weekend that Captain Marvel opened to 440 million dollars worldwide. It's yeah. already going to be at half a billion dollars and it's the 21st of these movies which they release 3 a year. Right. So Screw us. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. never mind. Just you know, go find something else. Yeah. <laughs> no, don't. Let's Please just keep say watching. Solo, Solo was a speed bump. <laughs> or like you've said it on here before, I think Solo, the reaction to Solo was really a, relaxion, a reaction to Last Jedi. But I think it was It was less of a reaction to, I mean, it was because of The Last Jedi, but I think it was it, the, the fans wanting to make a statement to say, just so you know, we do matter. Yeah. You because know? like you said, with The Force Awakens earning what it did to become the biggest movie of all time, we were starved. Yeah. <laughs> well, at that time, we were starved, and we were starved for a Star Wars that that reminded us of Star Wars, that reminded us of why we loved Star Wars. Because um, as much as I love the prequels for what they are, um, you know, they're not the Star Wars we grew up we grew up with, really. Um, you know, we're at a different age, different time, and actually, it's something that that 
I started thinking about a lot in watching this movie again in preparation for this episode was my son, who's six, watches this and laughs at stuff that I'm like, oh my God, why why is this happening? You know, and, and, but he loves it. And even my daughter, you know, who's now 10 loves, you know, and, and, and I'm like, that's cool that they love this and that maybe this, there's stuff in this that I don't get because I, well, because I'm just older, I guess. Well, you know? it, I mean. there's, there's, I mean, outside of the hinting at where it was going in Return of the Jedi, there, there wasn't, there's no precedent for right. all the wacky. There's humor. Han Solo's hilarious. R2 does funny stuff. C-3PO's a, yeah. a big stuffy uh, droid. Um, you know, and even Leia has some shots that are that yeah. are funny, but it wasn't just goofy to the detriment of the character or plot like right. we eventually saw. Well, yeah. I mean, and that's a good point. I mean, there, from a writing point of view, there are things that really frustrate me. I mean, literally in Act One, I mean, when they meet Jar Jar and they're like, and he's like, oh, we should go to Gungan City. And then he literally says one line later, on second thought, no. <laughs> what? what? Why are we writing I, this? I, I mean, then... Yeah. Th- th- you know, the, the, I mean, you can say I would take you somewhere, but I can't go because I've been banned or whatever. You know, right. but 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 to but to say, yeah, let's go. Oh no, let's not. You know, I mean, it, it's like doing improv with somebody that's denying the whole time. You know, it's just <laughs> like, you know, look, the sky is orange. No, it's red. It's I'm just done. I'm leaving. You know, <laughs> <laughs> well, he'd be denying himself. Look, the sky is red. I mean, red. Yeah, I, yeah, I, just, I just ridiculous. Yeah, uh, and it should be noted that you brought up this interesting point as of today's taping. It is the 20th, this very specific, not only the 20th anniversary of the film, 20th anniversary to the day today of the release of the second trailer of Phantom The Phantom Menace. Menace. Yes. Now, I saw the first one on Entertainment Tonight. It was, that's where they were debuting it, debuting it on television, and I recorded it on a VHS tape. Oh, yeah. And then I could just rewind it and watch it right. over and over again, and I took full analysis, saw the dual, you know... Uh, the dual lightsaber. Yes. I saw the desert. I mean, are they back in Tatooine or what's right. going on? Oh, cool new ships, you know. Right. So that's how you had to explore it 20 years ago. Yeah. Right? VHS did. Yeah, that's right. Off a recording right. of Entertainment Tonight, <laughs> which God help me. Even then, I was like, why am I watching this show? But just a terrible show. But anyway, so um, they set off to make the thing, and it's a $115 million budget. Which now you found that number. That's what's on the internet. I was watching the behind the scenes again, uh, which was very interesting, not having watched it in a long time. Um, and they say 50 million. Now, I wonder if the 50 million is, is wrong. Is, well, <laughs> no, I wonder if it's production yeah. and does not include marketing and, well, you know, all of that stuff. Um, that'd be way cheap, though. Even, I mean, you talk about the, the CGI, groundbreaking CGI, coupled with the sets they built i mean and then all the actors and then i mean it's so there's an interesting moment in the behind the scenes where they bring out all these boards um with you know storyboard images and all this stuff and lucas's job in front of his entire group ilm you know is to essentially with with a highlighter that's pink and a highlighter that's that's yellow go this is real this is cg this is real this is cg this Mm -hmm. is i mean like every single shot it, I mean, and how quickly he does it, you really do see his genius. I mean, there, there, there is genius in him for sure. Yeah, yeah, of you course. You know, um, and then when you start to hear, uh, was it John Knoll? I think, uh, who is is, <laughs> you know, they're talking about 
we don't know exactly how <laughs> we're gonna do some of these shots. Hey. I mean, there was so much that they did. They went in going, I don't, I don't know how we're actually gonna do this. But that's not uh, unfamiliar ground. James Cameron did that pretty much every movie. Here's what I want. Go make it happen. Yeah. And they went, okay. Yeah. You know, and the next thing you know, we have a, ter- a Terminator walking out of the fire as a metal man turning into Robert Patrick. Like, right. Never could have done that before. Right. right. Well, except for where he demanded the water beast in the abyss. Right. Yeah. Right. So these uh, groundbreaking filmmakers, that's how they operate. I mean, there's so much about the film that was groundbreaking uh, I mean, I know we're going to get more into the technology, but, you know, even just in the basic, the editing of it, you know, there was some stuff that, that I, I don't think had ever been done before. Who did edit it? You know, like the the editors and the, 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 the... I know Ben, I think Ben Burt did some of it. You know, he was the, he was always the sound engineer yeah. and, and recordist and, you know, brilliant in his own right. I mean, he, you know, he's the reason we have, and, you know, all the other, <laughs> yeah. you know, sound effects that we've come to love um, from the movies, but... Uh, I know he edited some of it, um, and there's you know there's shots of him working with George and and you know doing post and all that stuff. Yeah, but you know um, Marsha Lucas and Richard Chu and then the other guy from yeah. the original Star yes. Wars. And as he went along, those franchise guys, like even with all the Marvel movies, who edits and shoots them that that they don't have quite the I don't know the name attached that you get with like the prestige pictures, yeah, like you know yeah. who shoots the Revenant or who shoots this kind of thing. Well, I also but, think that the editors are like the unsung heroes. I mean, like yeah. you know, uh, you know, you also doing post and myself doing a ton of post work. I mean, at the end of the day, the editing room is where the story gets put together, and it's it's honestly where the film is either made or broken. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean? Um, speaking of editing, I know we're jumping around a little bit, but uh, the one I was watching in preparation for this episode, um, the Pod Race, was. Um, the extended pod race. And that is definitely longer. It is the, the extended pod race is, it is a longer section. There's so much more setup. in a lot of ways. Emotionally, it plays better. Um, but it's just so long. I, it's just so long. But it has my favorite moment in the whole film. When they're flying along and suddenly sand people come out of nowhere and they're taking pot shots at the pod racers. I think that's the greatest thing in the yeah. world. I, oh, I don't, the, oh, the Tuscan yeah, Raiders? they just pop up and they're like, <laughs> why are they there? Just to kill people. Yes, I yes. think that's great. Yeah, yeah. In fact, we're going to get to how there's just not enough danger or fear in this movie yeah. uh, or from the villains. I mean, just to have guys come up start taking people out. The best. Yeah. I li- and they just yeah. seem to enjoy it. They're like, they're doing their cheer thing. All right. Yeah. I, oh, yeah, <laughs> I like right. that they did the, ah, 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 you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. You were saying that it was like Ben Hur, though. And it's well, and the way. other thing that came up for me today that I, because I was listening to. Which it, I never would have put those two movies in. Right. I know. Together. I know. But how, but, do, how, how should one? I mean, I, I think it's it's that comparative of, of the race and the chariots and the, you know what I mean, and, and, you know, your rooting and, and the stadium and, I mean, all of that kind of stuff. But the other thing that it that I didn't even, I mean, I sort of put together, but now it really solidified it for me. Uh, I was listening to it in headphones and, and the, the sound design, the amount of sound design that is like, I mean, all of this, this stuff that's going on. Yeah, I mean... Yeah. It, I mean, whether you like the movie or not, you got at least like props to to all the sound design for it. I mean, that it, it's just incredible, I'm sure and, it wa- and it's the greatest race of all time. I mean, I think in his mind, that's what he was trying to create was like, and and I was watching it going, how else do you set this character up as a great pilot, 
as someone who has Jedi instincts. I mean, you know, maybe we could come up with a bunch of ideas and whatever, but but it's interesting, right? Like he's got a he's got a race to get this these parts to save these people so that they can get out of here and go save their planet. Like on paper, that kind of sounds awesome. <laughs> you know? All right. Give you that. Yeah. Yeah, and no, that is a, a, an exhilarating sequence, no doubt. Yeah. Except for the dumb uh, play-by-play announcers. Yeah, uh, well, and some of the kind of cartoony yeah. characters that yeah, are the, yeah. you know, I mean, yeah, just not, not which as... Which we didn't get in, like, Return of the Jedi, even in Return of the Jedi, which was the start of the goofy zone for yeah. a lot of Star Wars. They have that race through Endor on the bikes right. without any goofy stuff. They're ah! just kind of chasing... I mean, there's the whole se- sequence where the, you know, the there's Ewoks Ewok are on the back. Gets, okay. You know, yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. all that stuff is happening, so. Touche, my yes, friend. Yes, Again, yes. as I said, it was getting weird then. <laughs> uh, where did you... I need a bell. I need a bell when I get a touche. Like, ding, all right, I got one. Hey, I got one. I, <laughs> you can have as many as you like. I, I, I blocked that out of my mind, apparently. I just remember Luke and Leia on the run from Stormtroopers, and yes. it was pretty badass. Well, that is, yeah, yeah. Agreed, agreed. Then it got weird. Yeah. Where did you see the film? Ugh. Not where I wanted to. <laughs> Not in the biggest theater. Uh, no, uh, no. I, you know, my my parents were living up in the Antelope Valley at the time, and I happened to be visiting them on the day it was released. And I thought, you know, my mom took me to see the original. This might be cool to go see this with her. And that part was cool. It was it was neat to be there with my mom, and uh, my girlfriend was there, and you know all that stuff. And that that, that was that was kind of a, a fun moment. Um, and I just, you know, in general, just seeing Star Wars up on the screen again and hearing that music again, I mean, that was worth the price of admission. And honestly, I was just excited. Even after it was done, I was like, I, I just saw Star Wars. Like, I, that was great. I don't even care if it was, wasn't that great. I'm, I'm excited. <laughs> I think that was the first time they started doing pre-midnight screenings mm. of movies, you know, because midnight is technically the day the movie opens, but right. now you can go at like six, seven. Right. Six would be like the fan event. You're an hour earlier, which right. is weird because you get out and everyone's still in the movie. You can't brag to anybody. Right. But um, the seven or eight o'clock, uh, those type of uh, screenings started happening right around then because mm-hmm. I remember I went to a seven o'clock the night before it opened and it was, you know, a sea of robes and uh, lightsabers <laughs> and stuff and it was at the McClure Court Theater in uh, Chicago. So I did see it in one of the best theaters in town. Nice. Uh, and it was, yeah, so all the technical aspects of it that were supposed to work did. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, Lucasfilm nope. responsible for, you know, THX and, you know, all the great, you know, sound that we, you know, enjoy in movies yeah, now. Skywalker I mean, it's, I mean a, a lot of that stuff I, I think was really honed in on these types of films, you know, where you're like, oh, I want this to be on this channel and this speaker and that, you know, I, I mean, again, whether or not you, you love the, the film, got to show some respect for the the technical work. Yeah, if you go on to themovieguys.net, my original review is there, and it's kind of a the good and the bad. Mm-hmm. It's like a half and half, and I think it ended up with like a two-star review mm-hmm. or something. Because uh, I, I did come out of the pod race exhilarated, and it was thrilling to see the two-on-one uh, lightsaber battle at the yeah. end. You know, and then... But there was really, like, we let's get into this now. Yeah. The lack of threatening villain. Now, it's a Phantom Menace, so Palpatine isn't going to show all his cards. But still, there's a Sith Lord running around with a dual lightsaber, and and uh, he was sort of bad, but he was sort of ancillary. Yep. So otherwise, you have the Trade Federation. Which is not very intimidating at all. And robots. Yeah. Now, first of all, swapping out robots, I think, is Lucas's way to kid-friendly the whole thing. Yeah. Because we kill a, 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 ro- a, you know, a whole ton of robots, no big loss of right. life, no big... Uh, you know, like he even took a moment in Jedi to show, look, an Ewok died. Yeah. 
let's cry, let's have a moment yeah. because this is there are real stakes at hand. Well, there weren't any. Yeah. In these Roger Roger robots. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I agree. I mean, to me, the robots were the the GI Joe of this movie. You know, uh, did you watch GI Joe like as a grunt? kid? Yeah, they were. They were like Grunt. They were like, uh, yeah. No, I, I mean, did you ever watch G.I. Joe as a kid? And then, like, every yeah. time a plane would, like, you know, and yeah. then, like, a parachute yep. would go. A-team, and you, and same yeah, thing. Which is one of the reasons, as a kid, I got into Robotech. I don't know if you ever watched that. But, like, I remember, I mean, that was anime, and that was from Japan. And, like, people, like, actually died. And you're like, holy crap, people just, somebody just died on a cartoon. <laughs> That's incredible. And and so, for me, that I agree. I mean, that the stakes... The stakes were odd, and and as I was as I was working on this and writing uh, the synopsis, the, the synopsis, the, the synopsis, um, uh, one of the things that came up for me was this idea of how could you clarify this storyline because it really is a story about a kid who didn't who wasn't fathered, so he's sort of this holy child who gets found and then helps these people so that they can do something good. Uh, you know, there's a bigger story that's really interesting in there that didn't get clarified. <laughs> yeah, and, and and he accidentally blows up a trade federation ship. Like, even his win is without real danger. This movie, this movie comes off the heels of Independence Day, and I had a problem with that at Independence Day as well. Mm. Like, the movie starts out with... Billions of people being killed, most likely. Maybe, right. if not hundreds of millions. Right. Either way, at the end of the movie, when Will Smith and Jeff Goldblum are smoking cigars and cracking jokes, I'm kind of like, we, we should have a little more weight to yeah. the death that occurred here. And, and when you guys defeat them with a virus, uh, you know, it should mean more. Uh, so having robots that mean nothing and a, and a kid accidentally doing stuff, uh, the, the real drama was in the... Uh, the, the lightsaber battle. The lightsaber yeah. battle. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I Where, actually would have liked to have seen, you know, and, and this is actually one of my problems with the prequels in general. You know, they're constantly referring to this kid and then later Anakin as he gets older and all the stuff that he's so powerful. And he's so powerful. Uh, is he? I mean, you know, I, I don't see the power. When I, the One of the things I love about the, the, the Disney Star Wars movies uh, with Kylo Ren is w- at least we do see some power. I mean, in Force Awakens, right out of the gate, he friggin' you know freezes a uh, you know a laser ray. Like that's that's awesome. Let's see some power. You yeah. know, I mean, y- you know, in-, in Episode One, I'm like, okay, so he's really good at piloting this thing that looks really dangerous. Okay, that I, I guess I can get behind that. That's kind of cool. I I would have liked to have seen him have a Force moment. You know, in you know, blowing up the ship or, you know, I don't know, some kind of like, you know, he uses the force in some way, not even knowing, you know, I mean. Well, if you ever saw the uh, Phantom edit or the second one, Attack of the Phantom. Yes, I did. I love them. Yes. them they, he adds those in. Yeah. Like there are moments where Anakin hears a sound and reacts a certain way uh, t- that someone's coming. Take the sound out. He's a Jedi. He just knows they're coming. Yeah. And he reacts and it gives him, it enhances his, uh, his powers. Yeah. Which is important. Yeah. Yeah, and especially when you have trade federations and Senate debates, you got to make the other shit interesting. Yes, so agreed. Um, and I think that's probably why he had comic relief in the Ford of Jar Jar. But I don't know. Make yeah. make the trade stuff more interesting, and then we need less of that. Yeah, um, agreed. And I I did see from my original review. I said, wouldn't Anthony Hopkins be great in the Jedi Council? And not uh, playing a character. <laughs> Just we have Yoda, Mace Windu, and Anthony Hopkins. Yes, I agree. That would be I, a, that that would be, be a formidable council. That would be that would be interesting. Yeah. And then someone else mentioned, why doesn't Qui Gon fade away when he dies? 
There is definitely an inconsistency with the Jedi deaths. But I mean, <laughs> I, I don't know. I mean, you know, he is the one who supposedly tells them how to connect with the Force after death and keep their spirit, whatever, their consciousness intact. He is, he, I mean, at the end of Revenge of the Sith, I mean, that's, that's the thing. He, uh, it's, someone said unfinished business. Yeah. That he doesn't fade away. You know, Ben Kenobi wrapped up his time on Earth. Same with, uh, eventually, Luke. Right. You know, or not Earth, whatever, wherever right. he was. You know, where you're on the planet, <laughs> yeah. amongst us. Uh, and then, so then once you do that, Tatooine, you can fade right? away. Yeah. That's a whole theory, of yeah. course. Uh, but I also, I do like... Um, Oh, but they do burn him. Uh, there is a bookend to that. And and there's something interesting that Lucas says in the behind the scenes where he, you know, and he's a little nervous about doing this movie, too. I mean, I think he's even in the midst of seeing it, he, you know, he he's questioning things a little bit. Mm -hmm. But uh, he said something that I thought was interesting, which was each film is kind of like a stanza of a poem. And if you look at him in that way. This film starts out with a Jedi who dies and they, they burn him, they burn the body uh, as a sort of whatever the Jedi funeral is, sort of a, a respectful um, burial, right? They're all there and they're sharing their respects and all this stuff. And, and Return of the Jedi ends with him burning the body of, of his you know dead father um, and giving him essentially a respectful Jedi funeral. So we do have a bookend with that. I mean there in a lot of ways that is a setup and a payoff. True. Yeah. Yeah, there is there is, the inconsistency isn't necessarily an awful thing. It just is. Yeah. They die in battle, they die in you know by their own will. Yeah. It it could mean different things happen to them. Well, I also think that you know w would it speak to their level of connection with the force, power in the force. Yeah. You know. But there is one way they did show how strong the Jedi are in Phantom Menace. Just by the fact that, uh, and Adam Witt of the Movie Guys brought this up to me years ago, he said, there's a problem in the galaxy, Naboo is a planet that's being invaded, it's a sovereign thing, send in two Jedi. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Why? Because that's enough. That, that's plenty. Yeah. I, we don't need to send an army. Right. You know, two right. guys, they got it. Good right. enough. Don't worry about it. It's all good. Yeah. So let's go to the casting, because when the casting came out, um, it certainly was, had pedigree. Yep. Um, how did they all perform? What do you think? Liam Neeson. Brilliant. Yeah, yeah, I love Liam Neeson. I mean, you know, I, I Liam Neeson grounds so much. I, I was just watching a moment as I was prepping for this, where th there's the moment where um, he says to Anakin, "You know, you're free," and he goes and gets ready and whatever. And there's a there's a little scene with him and and Shmi, uh, which is an odd name, but uh, <laughs> but, but he's he Captain has the, Hook's sidekick. Yeah, pretty, pretty much. Oh, funny, I didn't even think about that. <laughs> um, but there's a scene he has with Shmi Skywalker, and and, and he. He basically, you know, kind of puts his hand on her shoulder and is like, are you okay? And, it, and it's, it's a quick moment, but he plays it with such sincerity. And honestly, it's the sincerity that a lot of the film lacked in other performances. It, it, because there was stuff happening that was just so big and over the top. Yes. Or, or, or so underplayed that you're like, it doesn't get any more subtle than what you're doing. <laughs> you know? Yeah, well, there and was stuff going on at that dinner table with Liam Neeson and the family, but Jar Jar wouldn't stop with his antics. Yes. Again, it's the over... Like, whether you create a character or not that looks or is realistic, it's the overacting that kills the CGI for me. That's why when yeah. by the time we got Andy Serkis and Gollum, uh, they were 
combining the technology with the good acting. Right. And then that continued through like Caesar, I right. think, you know, playing in the, I'm still Andy Circus, but he's the best. What are you going to do? Right. So, uh, uh, Ewan McGregor. Uh, I think Ewan only gets better with the films. I mean, you know, Ewan is great in Phantom Menace. I don't think he's, I don't, I certainly don't think it's his best of the three. Um, but I, I think the best he, of his career. Yeah. But. <laughs> I mean, agreed, but, yeah. but I, I, uh, I will say this. He is one hell of a fighter. I mean, the, the fight choreography, and if you watch the behind the scenes and him rehearsing, that guy does not hold back. I mean, he goes full throttle in his rehearsals. I mean, he worked his ass off. <laughs> and you can see it on the screen. I mean, you know, it's an awesome, awesome fight. And it's awesome really because of him. Because Liam's fighting is good. But he's a little older, and so I think the but style. Ray Park is good, and and well, of course Ray yeah. Park. I mean, he's brilliant, and and at, you know, almost goes without saying. But yes, yeah, yeah does, kind does, of what is there to do. Does need to be, yeah, does need to be said. But yeah. but um, but you know, Ewan McGregor isn't necessarily you know a swordsman. I'm sure he maybe studied it or whatever his you know career and training. Yeah, what is else has and, he done in the world of action? I mean, am I forgetting anything? There probably is something we're I'm forgetting. I'm sure there's stuff but, that but we're no, forgetting. But, but certainly not I mean, like... A bunch of Danny Boyle movies. Sword and, fighting. Yeah. Um, although I, the one story that, that comes up and everybody knows it, or at least fans know it, but the fact that he made lightsaber sounds makes me so happy. Oh, dude, really? <laughs> oh you haven't heard that story? Yeah, apparently George finally had to come to him and be like, yeah, we're going we're gonna to add those in post. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because we were all kids, yeah. like watching these go... <laughs> I mean, even now, my kids have lightsabers, and they make sounds, and I'm like, oh, you guys are missing out. You know? <laughs> we, we had to make the sounds, you know? <laughs> All right, here we go. Yeah, right? Uh, this is a great score. Oh, yeah, we didn't mention that. Uh, we should. Yes. Uh, Duel of the Fates quickly became one of the best. Uh, it's one of the greatest. In the entire Star Wars canon. Yep. Yeah, that's really good. It's stuff. a beautiful, beautiful piece. Uh, there's there's some other pretty music in the. I, I started listening to the soundtrack again and prep for this as well. And, oh, and the, I mean, we'll get to this next month. But the love story is one of the worst parts of the trilogy. But the love story's theme is one of the best Williams tracks that there is. Absolutely. Yeah. And if you listen to the episode two soundtrack and then you listen to the Rogue One soundtrack. There's some lovely similarities that uh, Michael Giacchino did, and I don't know if you're a, san a fan of uh, Giacchino, Gic but of course. I, well, I love up in the Incredibles for sure. I absolutely think that that Rogue One is. I mean, I love John Williams, of course. I mean, he's he's John Williams. He's amazing, but man, Giacchino did a great job on Rogue One, and um, I, I happen to know a little insight, uh, and maybe this is maybe a lot of people know this now, but but they uh, they had a whole other score. Um, and they literally changed it out about a month before they, they brought in Giacchino hmm. to replace the score for Rogue One. So I thought that was, I always thought that was really interesting, especially considering the fact that um, it's so damn beautiful. Natalie Portman. I want to say it's direction. I, she's I, been I, more interesting. That's I mean, for sure. She's, I mean, even as a kid, I mean, yeah, I'm the professional. Brilliant. Brilliant. And, I, I'm a little confused by her character, to be honest, in general, because later on, she's just kind of this young lady. But in this, you know, I would not condone a course of action that would lead us to what, I mean, like, what, I don't, what is, what, what? <laughs> they wanted, I guess, to be otherworldly and sort of regal, uh, perhaps, but in was the that, direction. I mean, right. I guess maybe that was like part of, was that part of what the regalness was? That, that they all must wear these crazy wigs and yeah. talk like this you know I mean just it, it was 
yeah, I just didn't quite get it. And I, and there were there were times where I just felt like her performance was so subtle and so uh, muted. Um, and I, I feel like, you know, but I just feel like it was just direction because she's a, she's a brilliant actor. Yeah, by the time you get to Leia, you've got a princess who is active. Right. You know? Right. And action-based. Right. But, uh, so eventually it makes $474 million. So it's 14th place all time. And if you adjust it for inflation, it still only drops to 18th where a lot of movies like Jurassic World is in the top 10 and then whoop, goes out of the top 20 entirely yeah. when you adjust for inflation. Uh, so, which, by the way, if they actually did make it for the fifty million that I heard in the behind the scenes, that's a pretty incredible thing. I mean, that's something that I I did want to mention. You know, it, it's one of the greatest, biggest independent films ever made. I mean, you know, there there it was him. It's his money. Like yeah. I'm gonna do this. You know. Now I also think that created part of the problem. There's moments in the behind the scenes where he's talking about. Look, if we get this technology figured out, if we get this right, people are going to want this for their movies. I there's a part of me that feels like there's a little bit of of a challenge in that because you know, on the one hand, you're thinking about your business. You're thinking about Lucasfilm. You're thinking about the future of this business. And and that's cool. He needs to. That's his business. But are are you thinking about that at the at the cost of story, at the cost of focusing on your film because when you're really immersed and really working on a film, what matters is the film. What matters is the story. What matters is what your objective is as a filmmaker, the story and the theme that you're trying to convey and say and make the audience feel. That's what matters. And, and the feel part for a lot of us, I think, was what was missing. What, what, what are we supposed to feel? Because, I, and, I, and I realized watching it again, that's part of what we're missing is who whose story is this really? Whose eyes are we really watching this through? When you go back and you look at the original Star Wars movie, it's it's a it's a hero's journey. It's straightforward. You know, yeah, there's other characters and we follow them in moments and stuff like that, but we're really watching Luke Skywalker. And I was ready to watch Anakin. I was ready for the tragedy of sure. it all, but it kind of got jumbled at a bunch of other uh nonsense yeah <laughs> well yeah that's why i when i was when we were working on the the synopsis i went with uh, this kind of concept of like no this is a story about this boy that's what this is really supposed to be this is a story about this boy who becomes the most evil thing in the universe i mean that to me is what's interesting about what lucas did he said how do you take the most evil person in the world because let's face it Darth Vader is iconic evil right how do you take the most evil thing in the world and and make them I guess relatable because at some point every every serial killer was a kid you know every person in prison for some horrible crime was was a little innocent kid who didn't know that they were going to grow up necessarily uh, they didn't know they were going to grow up to do the horrible, heinous things that they did. That wasn't what they maybe set out to be or do. So, good question about Lucas. Did he do that? Did he achieve it? Yeah. And we'll leave it there, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> <laughs> I yeah. I think he did. Yeah. To be honest, right. I think I think he I think he actually did achieve making him innocent. That's for sure. I mean, he basically wanted him to be ripped from his mom and 
that starts the path of the yeah. things that uh, turn him. Yeah, I would have, you know, with a with a more capable actor. Um, and I don't blame Jake Lloyd because he was a kid and he was cast in a role and he did his job to the best of his ability. If you and look, then he stopped. Well, yeah, <laughs> he well, didn't, and, didn't do and I else. feel bad for him because yeah. the truth is he was put in in a in a precarious position. Um, I mean, if you look at the behind the scenes, I mean, you know, of course he's a kid and he gets this incredible opportunity and he's a kid. He doesn't really know Star Wars. I mean, he knows what he knows, but he didn't, he's a kid. He got a big role and he didn't have the experience uh, or the training, even as a kid, I think, to to do what he needed to do. There, there, were, there were a few kids that were, it was down to like three kids. There was one kid who uh, in particular... I think was a trained actor. And Lucas even says in, in the behind the scenes, he's like, I know if we hire this kid, he's going to hit all the beats and he's going to get all the moments and whatever. But this other kid is unpredictable. I think we should go with him because there was a quality to Jake in, in the auditions that was honest. And, and there's a few moments in the film where, where they got it. Unfortunately, it, it, it didn't come across most of the time. But there are a few moments where where if you kind of check your ego at the door and you just kind of watch and see if you can find him, there's a few moments where he really is honest and it is a, and, it, and you get, okay, I get this is why he got this. But the truth is they needed the kid who could deliver take after take because it's Star Wars and there's just too much going on around you mm-hmm. to be teaching acting. And we definitely don't have time to get into Ahmed Best, but the poor guy uh, his fallout after his uh, time on set as Jar Jar Binks was brutal. And this was pre, I mean, t- today if he uh, oh, if he did this, yeah. uh, the reaction on social media would be the worst thing ever. But, it's bad enough he almost wanted to kill himself uh, uh, for this. But if you look again, behind, I go to the behind the scenes because there's a lot of honesty in, in there. Um He's really a, a, he's a good physical actor, and he did a lot of of good physical. He did what he was asked. Yeah, he did what he was asked. It, it, you know, again, like Jake, like I mean, honestly, this falls on on Lucas's shoulders. Since we're talking about performances, I want to talk a little bit about editing, um, which we talked a little bit about. But I there's an editing style that happens on this movie that I don't know had ever been employed on any other movie. Uh, and that is, um, they literally have moments like, let's say you have a wide shot and you've got multiple characters in a, in in a scene. There's a moment in the behind the scenes where George and Ben Bird are talking about this moment and George likes the take with one of the actors in the scene, but he likes a different take with another actor in that moment from a different take. And so they they actually crop the shot in order to get both of the performances in the one wide shot because it's a it's a wide shot what the reason i bring this up is because i think it speaks to the challenge the blessing and the curse of technology technology allows you to do a lot of stuff but i think there's something especially speaking as an actor <laughs> There's something that happens in acting, in moments, that is not, if you're doing it right, it shouldn't be false. It should feel like the truth. 
And when you're sort of fabricating moments that didn't happen because you like this person's performance, now that's editing, right? I mean, you're, you're, you're putting it together, but I think there's something else that happens when you're literally taking a moment that was, you know, in the middle of this, in this shot, and then on this shot, I want this person. You know, now we've got things that are organically sort of happening that weren't there. And, and I wonder, and the reason I bring it up is because I wonder if some of that, having that massive amount of control, because in the, in, because in the old days, you would be like, I can't use this take because this actor sucked in this one, but this actor was great, but I still can't use it. Are you saying, did Lucas need somebody other than a yes man around him? Well. <laughs> the answer is yes. That's that's a bigger question, although uh, there are some people who uh, say that, that actually Rick McCollum was not just a yes man. I think he was, I think he was stuck in a producing role that was, that was sort of that of the producer, like a line producer, even though he was a producer, he was, that they're, they're there to carry out and just make it happen. Whereas in the original films, what was it, Gary Kurtz and, you know, I mean, you know, they were there to be like, mm, no, that's <laughs> not a great idea. And this is why we're, that's not a great idea. And I think that was different. And I, I, yeah, I think I think he needed someone to say, no, I, I don't think we need to crop the shot. I think we need to pick a take that's good for, you know, do, you know, I guess my question is, does that make it better? I don't know. Is it a good editing tool to employ? I mean, you know, well, maybe I guess it depends on the situation. It's nice to have options. I just think in general, you don't always, you know, having all the options and all of the control, sometimes you need to go with when is it working? When is it really working? I mean, there's times in the editing room where you have to save something. I've done that. I'm sure you've done that. You know, all editors have done that. You know, you save it through cuts. You save it through reactions. You say whatever, right? But then there's other times where it relies on some performance and 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 the skills of those on the screen. And either you got it or you didn't. Well, it's not <laughs> like he directs like Eastwood does. Like Eastwood's been working with the same guys forever. Editor Joel Cox and the music, they're all the same guys. Right. So he doesn't even have a monitor. He just watches the actors. If he likes what he saw, he just goes, did you get it? And they go, yep, moving on. Yeah, <laughs> you know? like, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I've, I've, I've shot for directors like that. Yeah, that Alexander that, Payne know. does that too. Apparently, yeah. like he's his right next to the camera, you will always see his face uh, looking in and just kind of being there and mm -hmm. wanting to see if he's going to get everything he wants. Right. You know, and then he knows if he sees it, and then he trusts that they got it. Right. You know, where it sounds like they were manipulating a little too much after the fact. Yeah. Paul Martin Smith, never heard of him, is the editor, co-editor, uh, co-credited with Ben Burt. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Oh, so it was Ben Burt. Okay, yeah. yeah, I wasn't sure how much he had actually edited. I never I, knew that he was a film editor. I knew I that he edited. Such a sound editor. Uh, I feel like he edited some of the other ones, and and maybe was the solo editor on maybe Revenge of the Sith. We'll have to look that up, but uh, when we get there. But yeah, it's. It, I mean, it, speaking of editing, there were never any. Uh, well, uh, people will tell you otherwise, but there were technically never any special editions of the prequels. Yeah. But, however, I think if each new iteration of them. Lucas changed something because yes. he's just got so damn used to it. Ooh, I'm going to tweak this just a right. little bit or I'm going to make this a little different. So when it comes out in VHS, it's one way. When it comes out on DVD, it's another. When it comes out on Blu-ray, oh, final tweaking here. And right. then the anniversary 3D, oh, we're going to do this now that it's coming back out. You know, it's like, ugh. Well, actually, it got me, that concept got me thinking 
was I ever able to and will I ever be able to see what I actually saw in the theater that opening day? I don't know. I don't even know. I don't know. I mean, because, you know, I mean, even like the Yoda thing, like they, they changed out Yoda from being a puppet to being CG um, once they got the CG more perfected. Like in going into two or they revisited one and they revisited the, one. There's there's a comparative online. Somebody did it that, that shows the, the yeah. Yoda from like the original 99 release to. Well, he didn't want to work with the Muppets, right? Or he didn't employ them for some reason. He got, so he got a different company, and then it didn't look as good, and then we all were not surprised. Right. <laughs> well, then it's a little tough to, like, you know, how, how <laughs> you know, 900 years old, and now he's 870. <laughs> <laughs> you know, how different do you look in 30 years after you're, like, over 800? I mean, I don't know, you know? <laughs> and you're green. And you don't have a lot of seven hundred. You kind of look about the same. Yeah, you know. I mean, there's a give and take. There's a give and take for sure. So, and then uh, if you could change one thing, what would you change? Oh wow, one thing. Presumably, I guess it would be one thing that would make a massive difference. I would have Han Solo in it. Han Solo was missing. I would. I mean, I I mean, of the film or of how it was made, or uh, that's such a big question. Okay, I would say the script. Yeah, I would have a Han Solo element. I think I was trying to do with Poe Dameron didn't quite work, but um, yeah. But uh, the tr- prequels were de- sorely missing Han Solo. They were either rigidy, uptighty Jedi guys, yeah, or uh, naive or evil. Or it, it wasn't much in between. I actually kind of, you know, I, I really kind of wish they hadn't killed off Qui Gon so quickly. I, I mean, not only is Liam Neeson just fantastic to watch, um, you know, his character was interesting, and honestly, he kind of did have a little bit of that. I mean, he was kind of like, you know, yeah, I'm gonna do what I want to do. Which is kind of a Han Solo quality. One final question. Yes. Should this movie have been made? Should we have seen the prequels at all? Yeah. I love it. I'll give it a solid yes. Uh, All right, so that's it. Let's put a wrap on our second uh, Countdown to Nine podcast. And please come back the 15th of every month. And uh, don't forget, the last show of our run will post five days before the release of Episode Nine. And again, we'll give you updates on that film as they come out. Once again, I'm Paul Preston. I'm Sean Blodgett. And between episodes, don't forget to follow us at Facebook.com slash Countdown to Nine, at Countdown to Nine on Twitter and Instagram. And of course, you can get the show at YouTube, iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, and of course, TheMovieGuys.com. Net. Also, just for fun, don't forget to go to digitalmindproductions.com and creativemotionentertainment.com. And that is a wrap on The Phantom Menace. Join us next month as we take a deep dive into Attack of the Clones, who neither attacked, and they were also good guys. We'll get to the bottom of that <laughs> until April. Sean, I love you. I know. I know.